Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the summer series of Popcorn and Compliance. Yes, Tom and Jay Rosen are back to look at the season three of The Mandalorian. All the things you would expect from Tom and Jay in a popcorn and compliance episode are with us in this series. Each episode, we'll look at the storyline. Tom and Jay will discuss some of the highlights for them. I know you'll enjoy this special season of Popcorn and Compliance, The Mandalorian. If you're a fan of Star Wars or The Mandalorian, Jay and I would love to hear from you on your thoughts on this special podcast series. Today we conclude this special podcast series with Episode 8, The Return. I hope if you enjoy this podcast, you will subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. The start of this final episode begins at the cliffhanger from Episode 7, where Bo-Katan and her reconnaissance squad retreat from Moff Gideon's base. Upon returning to the Mandalorian flagship, Axe Wove sends the remaining Mandalorians to reinforce the planetary troops while he defends the ship from Imperial TIE squadrons. With assistance from Grogu, Din Darjin escapes from captivity and seeks out Gideon. Darjin and Grogu discover the cloning tanks filled with Force-sensitive clones of Gideon, and Darjin destroys them. After a lengthy skirmish between the Mandalorians and the Beskar-enhanced stormtroopers within the base, Bo-Katan, Darjin, and Grogu make a final stand against Gideon and his Praetorian guards, in which the Darksaber is destroyed. Woves rams the Mandalorian capital ship into the Imperial base, and Gideon is consumed by the ensuing blast. Grogu protects himself, Bo-Katan, and Darjin from the blast with a force barrier. After the battle, the Mandalorians restart the Great Forge, and Darjin formally adopts Grogu. Afterwards, Darjin takes up honest contract work with Carson Teva and moves into a cabin on the outskirts of Navarro's capital, while IG-11 is rebuilt by the Anzilan mechanics to serve as Navarro's new marshal. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. And with Jay Rosen, we're going to pick up on the last episode of The Mandalorian Season 3, The Return. Jay, I thought this was a a great way to end this season. I don't know if this is the final season of The Man, Little Warrior, or not. What were your thoughts on the final episode of this season? I I think that we all knew what was coming. We expected our ragtag group of heroes. We expected Din Dardin, Roku, Bo-Katan to all 
get together and win the fight at the end of the day. And previously, a couple episodes went wax poetic on jetpacks and things like that. And if you want to have the ultimate jetpack throwdown battle, this is what you get here in episode eight. So I'm very happy they delivered on the promise of a great battle. And Tom, what were your thoughts about in terms of where the story had to go in canon? Were there any surprises that you got or did it pretty much deliver what you thought it would? So the, I guess the surprise from a canon perspective, Jay, was that the Empire had such powerful stormtroopers at this point. For those familiar with the overall canon, this happens before the final trilogy. And I don't think the Imperial stormtroopers were as powerful in that final trilogy, although they had the Imperial Guard or the Praetorian Guard, as they called it, was certainly that. But the regular stormtroopers here were a very powerful. We talked about them in the last episode. We find out they're clones and that cloning, if we go back several episodes with Ilya Kane and the clones that were being made, Dr. Pershing's research was still alive and that brought forward into this episode. Grogu was extraordinarily important, as you might have guessed in getting Din Jardin released or escaped from his captivity with some pretty cool scenes, battle scenes. The When I think it was Woves, Axe Woves is his name, he is the main counterpoint or rival to Bo-Katan to mm-hmm. lead the planet Mandalore. And they have a predictably rocky relationship. But he really makes, obviously, the ultimate sacrifice in this because he takes his battleship that he is captaining, that they have stolen or captured, and he drives it into the planet, into the mines where this base is located, and literally destroys everything. So that was a very spectacular part of his role in this and really gave huge honor to him uh, for what he did. And then Moff Gideon and his Praetorian guards were a great fighting unit. We had uh, some great hand-to-hand combat there, which, of course, Mando is able, or Din Jardin is able to overcome. So some really rocking and rolling action. It was just a roller coaster of an episode. It was over before you knew it. I was sad when it was over, knowing even knowing where it was eventually going to go. And yeah, a lot of fun. Where did you see it go, Jay? I got I got my inner Casablanca going on. And there's a scene basically when Din Jarden is there talking to Carson Teva and basically says, look, I'm going to settle things down now. I got my son, but it's going to be in your best interest to hire me to be like, uh, do some peace work for you. Do some jobs every once in a while. And he goes, you're going to protest at first, but then you're going to think about it. You're going to realize it's a good deal. So I thought that was their little homage to this could be the beginning of a great friendship. That hit me from a Casablanca way. And as I spoke about a few uh, minutes ago, talking about everybody gets something when they go to the wizard. The scarecrow got his brains and the cowardly lion got courage. Din Djarin got a family and it continues to be close with his son, with Grogu. 
And Bo-Katan got to lead the, the group in trying to help Mandaloria and the Mandalorians flourish again. It seems all that stuff were, was paid off the way it should be paid off. I don't really have any Easter eggs or clues to where we're going. Tom, did you pick up anything about where the season four could lead us? I thought it was interesting that IG-11 was made the sheriff of Never Navarro. Which leads me to think that there's going to be something involving criminal activity in Navarro. Not that would surprise anyone, but I thought that was an interesting way for that to end. I was surprised, Jay, when I sat down and thought about this series. It was so much less about the relationship of Din Jardin and Grogu. Obviously, the first season. That was a large part of it. It morphed a little bit. We got met some new characters in seasons. We had we were introduced to Asako, and which will be a subject of another series. And of course, Bo-Katan really took center stage here with the armorer really anointing her as the one. So I wonder if we're going to go back to that dynamic of Grogu and Din Jardin because. He cannot train Grogu to be a Jedi because he's not a Jedi. He can certainly train him in the ways of the Mandalorian, and he can certainly teach him the way. And I'm not sure if Grogu will evolve to a Jedi or not, but to do so, he's going to have to leave or be taken from Din Jardin to be given real Jedi training. So I'm not quite sure which direction they're going to take that. Maybe his innate Jedi skill can be shaped more by the Mandalorian code and he'll morph into some different type of being. But I did wonder, wondered about that. Although clearly their love and affection for each other is, has been throughout this entire three seasons. Yeah, what what was that planet that they were on earlier this year that was a very lush and green kind of place and it was very agrarian? Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, that was uh, Cort, Cortusa. Let me see if I can find the name. Keep talking and I'll find it. Okay, yes. but because I believe from what I was reading, there's only three people who are like Yoda and Grogu. And then there's also, I believe, a female character. So there really doesn't seem to be like this. Uh, is is Yoda from Hoth or from one of the home planets? Or does Yoda just go wherever he wants because he can? Because I'm wondering, like you said, if you need to do half the season and you need to do the, the training of Grogu, that's something that's going to happen. And the question is, does it happen when they're on the run and they're fighting like the the original episode four, five, and six, or do you have to dedicate? Because this is very agile filmmaking, so you don't have to lead up with those filler episodes that I spoke about earlier. You could just go one episode and you're there with Yoda. But I think Yoda's got to be part of the next step. You're absolutely right. So the question is, do you have a season of Mando when he's not really in it, or do you spin Mando off into... Uh, a series that has something to do more with Yoda. That planet you reference is Kalevala. Okay, um, thank you. But as to your question, it's an open question. 
at this point, but clearly these two belong together. And even if he stays with Mando and receives Mandalorian training, I think uh, Grogu can really develop because we even saw it in some of the, when he was fighting the bully, for instance, and he did the backflip over him before poking him three times Mm -hmm. with the darts. Clearly he has talents and skills that a Jedi has, even if not trained and mastered. So maybe we can get a, a hybrid types of skill. And it's interesting how much, as we say this, Jay, how much we both realize this series has more from the first season, which really focused on Grogu and Din Jardin, to something very different about the Mandalorians as a people and as a returning to a planet. I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it tied things up very nicely. It was a rollicking adventure. Once again, Caps, Hats, and Stetsons off to Mr. Favreau for being the, the kid in the candy show, store that all of us want to be and uh, using all the toys that he had at his disposal. I don't know if he had an unlimited budget and exceeded it, but it was very cool. Last shot going into the Easter egg. You've got this little circle, and it goes right down on the Grogu. Is Grogu right. going to eat that frog? Or what's what's what are we led to believe that's going to happen there? I think we're led to believe he's going to eat it, but I think there there'll be consequences that we are not aware of at this point. All right, because maybe he just learns that it's okay to coexist. That's the way I'd like to see it be. That's well, a good way to end this, Jay. Jay, this has been a great series on popcorn and compliance. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it and had as much fun listening as we have recording it for you. So thanks again. I'm Tom Fox. And I'm Jay Rosen. Take care. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this special series on popcorn and compliance where Jay and I took a look at The Mandalorian Season 3. Jay and I are going to take a short hiatus and then we'll be back to look at Ahsoka, the latest addition to the Star Wars oeuvre currently streaming on Disney. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. Popcorn and Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.